It's been a relentless few weeks of catastrophic headlines for number 10. Boris Johnson is facing calls to investigate allegations of Islamophobia within the Conservative Party. In February 2020, Nusrat Ghani was sacked by Boris Johnson as Transport Minister. When she asked why, Ms Ghani says a government whip told her her Muslimness made colleagues feel uncomfortable. They're very serious allegations. We, we will tolerate no discrimination, let alone Islamophobia, in the Conservative Party. A Conservative MP defects. Can I start by warmly welcoming the Honourable Member for Bury South to his new place? Senior Conservative MP William Ragg has accused Conservative Party whips and Number 10 staff of blackmail. Got news of a resignation. Given that I'm the Minister for Counterfraud, it feels somewhat dishonest to stay on in that role if I'm incapable of doing it properly. Wow, you don't often get a Minister resigning at the dispatch box. You have sat there too long for all the good you have done. In the name of God, go. While some Tory MPs have publicly called for Boris Johnson to step down, many more are waiting for the fallout from Sue Gray's investigation. Sue Gray inquiry. Sue Gray. Sue Gray. Sue Gray. The report into Downing Street parties by senior civil servant Sue Gray has been delayed as she gathers new evidence. Perhaps it would be faster if Sue Gray were to investigate the days that there weren't parties. (laughs) With the Sue Gray report imminent and a Tory rebellion in the offing, secret campaigning has already started for a new PM. She has been hosting a number uh, of events. We, we now refer to them as Fizz with Liz with Tory MP colleagues. Who are the candidates lining up to replace Boris Johnson? And what would it take for the Prime Minister to step down? You're listening to Stories of Our Times from The Times and The Sunday Times. I'm Manveen Rana. Today, Boris Johnson in crisis. The runners and riders vying to replace the PM. Hi, Gabriel. It's been a while. How are you? Been ages, I know. My name's Gabriel Pogrand. I'm the Sunday Times Whitehall editor. Gabriel, what's it been like covering politics and covering Whitehall over the last couple of weeks? Well, in my instance, it's been unfortunately characterised by my inability to enter Westminster. I was trying to get into Parliament only to learn my parliamentary pass had expired. So I couldn't get into PMQs. It felt like the worst timing ever to be scuppered by my own omni-shambolic organisation. However, (laughs) frankly, Twitter is where much of the action is happening. And mercifully, a few sympathetic MPs and sources have been willing to meet me outside the parliamentary estate. But It has been constant (laughs) excitement, drama. I'm mindful, as I'm sure are you, that whatever we say in this podcast may have been superseded by events by the time our listeners are listening. So I'm going to try and apply as much foresight as possible over the next 20 minutes. It does feel like it's a a scoop an hour at the moment. I was getting desperate texts as people were coming out of the Carlton Club very late at night last Tuesday. And you could just tell there are sort of, it sounds like there are factions and camps and people are spying on each other and there are deals being done. I've never known it quite so manic. I mean, we're in one of those moments where 
Boris as the Conservative Home's Paul Goodman r- reminded us the other day has often been compared to a greased albino piglet. He has his own way of slipping through everybody's hands, evading scrutiny. I mean, that's quite a description. It's quite a description. It's a very vivid and memorable comment. And I mean, <sighs> nobody knows if Boris is going to slip out of this particular scandal or, or whether, as many of his own MPs believe, this great survivor of politics as time is up. And it's interesting that people are already starting to talk quite seriously about who might replace him. So there is a sense that it's not a question of if, more when. Talking of of the potential runners and riders, and we really wanted to go through some of them with you to find out who the most likely are. Rishi Sunak, I suppose, seems to be one of the front runners. What do we know of him as a potential candidate? So Rishi Sunak, for frankly most of the time he's been in the Treasury, has been spoken of as the likely successor to Boris Johnson. He's occupied political terrain in a way that has squeezed out not only his internal opponents, but often the Labour Party. This is the man who uh, styles himself as a Thatcherite cast in the mould of Mrs T's own Chancellor Nigel Lawson, low tax, small state, Brexiteer. He's simultaneously overseen the administration of the biggest state intervention in the economy since World War II in a form of furlough. Today I can announce that for the first time in our history, the government is going to step in and help to pay people's wages. We're setting up a new coronavirus job retention scheme. So it's quite difficult to pin him down ideologically, and yet he's done this amazing job, or had done this amazing job, of persuading his party that he was ultimately on their side while being seen among the public as the guy responsible for things like eat out to help out, furlough, preventing mass unemployment, which was a risk in March 2020. At the same time, he's politically skillful. He had this reputation for clarity, political cleanliness, in contrast to the sleaze of many of his colleagues, and was deemed to have both been lobbying for the relaxation of restrictions while also propping up the economy during its time of crisis. He has had, though, a little bit of a wobble over the last month, or at least it does seem as though his reputation in the party has changed. When Omicron was raging in a run-up to Christmas, Rishi Sunak made a a poorly timed, to say the least, visit to the west coast of America. This is a long planned trip where I'm meeting with dozens of industry leaders and investors from the technology space. I've curtailed my trip and I will be leaving earlier tonight and I'll be back in the UK tomorrow. And he was forced to rush back and that wasn't the only poorly timed absence of his of late. He was nowhere to be seen when Boris Johnson at this moment of maximum political peril sat before Keir Starmer in PMQ's his defence that he didn't realise he was at a party (laughs) is so ridiculous that it's actually offensive to the British public. But where was Rishi Sunak, the second most senior member of Her Majesty's government? He was rather unconvincingly, he was in Devon for what he characterised to the press as a pre-planned visit. The Chancellor was on a long planned visit down to Devon on the coast where we know he doesn't have great signal down there and we know that it was a pre-arranged visit. The sheer obviousness of his strategy of late, namely trying to stick this one out, he hasn't unequivocally backed the Prime Minister, he does want to touch this party issue, but the blatant nature of it has prompted this charge of disloyalty and weakness. 
It was interesting last week. Normally he's sort of a, a very smooth performer in interviews, but he did seem to walk out when he was being quizzed about the Prime Minister. If the Prime Minister lied and lied to Parliament, he should resign, shouldn't he? Well, I'm not going to get into hypotheticals. The ministerial code is is clear on these matters. But as you know, Sue Gray is conducting an inquiry into the situation. I think it's right that we allow her to conclude that job. And you support support the Prime Minister? That's right. He, he, he He looked irritable. His press secretary or somebody in his operation later briefed the media that, in fact, he'd only ever agreed to answer three questions and the interviewer had gone for five. Again, almost like his absence in Devon. I mean, nobody's saying that Rishi Sunak has undermined himself catastrophically, but I do think that his, his conduct has not endeared himself to certain people, not least, by the way, those MPs who remain supportive of Boris Johnson and quite possibly members who, we mustn't forget, do actually remain largely supportive of Boris Johnson continuing as PM. This is not the public. It's not even those who voted Tory. Those who carry the card of Tory party membership still back Boris. And for Rishi Sunak, if he does want her to have a go at, at the, the, the main job, is there a question of timing too? Because you're right, during the pandemic, you know, he was seen as sort of a very solid, very reliable performer. But it's easy to be popular when you're the Chancellor giving things away. We are about to hit, come April, a huge cost of living crisis. And he will effectively be the face of that. Well, something I should have mentioned, actually, is, number one, we mentioned that he'd done this balancing act of rolling forward the frontiers of the state while persuading people in the party he was trying to do the opposite. Well, actually, now the tax burden is at its highest since 1950s. Mm. This is ultimately a chancellor who, whatever he says, he believes, has raised uh, the tax burden for, for, for people more than at any point in half a century. And also, as you just mentioned, it's very easy to be that guy who helped you get your cut price wagamama or who prevented you from going on the dole during the pandemic. Very different proposition being the chancellor who presided over highest inflation since John Major's government. And most of the time, the big picture economically is what determines the fate of a given government. And so that is definitely... Always the economy stupid. Always the economy stupid. And I know it shouldn't matter, a person's background shouldn't really matter when it comes to the role that they're doing, but the fact that he is married to a billionaire probably won't go down very well when the cost of living crisis really hits. So if he did become prime minister, he'd be the wealthiest occupant of that position ever. He is is not, frankly, a kind of average Tory politician in any respect. He, you know, went to Winchester, attended Oxford, is married to a billionaire, And as you mentioned, when people are feeling the pinch on their finances, that is a politically complicated thing to manage. And moving on to the other frontrunner at the moment, as far as we know, Liz Truss. What do we know about her as a candidate? In December, I'll be in Beijing opening up new pork markets. We import two-thirds of our cheese. That is a disgrace. Liz Truss, for some, it might feel, has kind of come out of nowhere as the the woman who everybody is saying will be our, our next prime minister or will at least be in that final two if we do have a leadership contest. Trust on the face of it shouldn't be anywhere near this. I mean, in terms of 
the kind of key articles of faith of the Tory party right now. She backed Remain. She was a, a prominent Lib Dem at university. She kind of graduated up through the party under David Cameron. And yet, and yet, she has, with great acumen, completely upended her reputation publicly, politically. She was International Trade Secretary for first two years of Boris's premiership. And that gave her the pulpit to promote Britain's kind of post-Brexit self on the international stage and back to the country. She was signing all these rollover deals. We've now secured agreements with 58 countries worth £198 billion worth of trade. And of course, that means more opportunities right across the UK. Whether it's She's jetting forth between Washington DC and London to talk to the Trump and Biden administration. Please join me in welcoming the Right Honourable Liz Truss MP to the Heritage Foundation. The US embraces the spirit of optimism and can do that I think you can see under the new government in Westminster. And frankly, she was able to convey the positivity and boosterism that many felt was lacking during Theresa May's stewardship. And so that has endeared her the Tory membership. She was also able to serve as a qualities minister. So, you know, plenty of red meat to be thrown there to the Tory base on so-called anti-woke issues. There's no doubt that she kind of comes from that kind of neo-Thatcherite caucus of parliamentarians, many of whom are said are now in the cabinet. And once you're discussed as a leadership candidate, there's frankly nothing you can do to avoid people labelling your every interaction as somebody beyond manoeuvres or having furtive brush buys in the labyrinthine corners of Portcullis House collaring <laughs> potential backers. But it isn't... And has she been? Well, I was going to say... <laughs> She has been hosting a number uh, of events. We, we now refer to them as Fizz with Liz, kind of receptions at 5 Hartford Street, the private members club in Mayfair with Tory MP colleagues. It does seem like she has more of a kind of existing organisation around her. Um, mm. It was reported recently she's got more special advisors than any other cabinet minister, I believe, other than the prime minister. And, you know, perhaps Rishi Sunak, because he has so much of the machinery of government and the treasury at his disposal. He he doesn't need to host these events. So maybe Truss has had to work a little harder. She's also encumbered now by the Brexit issue. Actually managing the technicalities of Brexit, having to marinate in the context of Article 16 and Northern Ireland and everything else, you know, it's 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 certainly a big test of her abilities and competence as a minister. Yeah, I mean, it's it's been interesting. She does seem to be very popular with the grassroots, who you know keep using the phrase "in Liz we trust," which is bound to be used as a, a slogan pretty soon in her campaign when she runs. But there there is a sense that she has now got a poison chalice by taking over the Brexit portfolio. I understand the ERG aren't very keen on her as as the candidate because although she's looking after Brexit now, she wasn't initially a Brexiteer. You know, the Conservative Home website produces this regular table ranking. Who do you think would will be the next prime minister or who do you think should be the next prime minister among members? And Truss has been, you know, double digits at the top of that for some time. So it doesn't appear that past position on the EU has been a kind of major issue so far, albeit, you know, who knows whether that will be the case if uh, her record is subject to even closer inspection. So I think that both Rishi Sunak and Liz Truss probably both burdened by the fact that everybody thinks that one of them is going to be the next PM. And you don't have Mm. to look 
too far back to find MPs who are widely thought of as being the, the king over the water. And sometimes you can become a victim of those expectations. The media builds you up, your party builds you up, and then suddenly you lose the sheen surrounding your candidacy. You know, David Miliband was for so long seen to be the next prime minister. He yes. waited too long. Boris Johnson after the Brexit referendum. I have concluded that person cannot be me. You can become a victim of any sense of inevitability surrounding your candidacy. You probably hope if you're one of them that the Tory party manages to kick off a contest sooner rather than later. I mean, remember that Sir Graham Brady needs 15% uh, of the backbenches to hand in their anonymous letters for him to start uh, the process of a vote no confidence. And if Boris wins it, then that's it. And you know, it's not actually that difficult to win it. Theresa May did so herself. You need half of your MPs to back you. Who else do we think will run? I mean, Jeremy Hunt ran last time. Do we think he'll run again? Well, he has actually now publicly said that he hasn't ruled it out, which in, in, <laughs> in Westminster parcel tongue is as good as saying, I am running. He, he, he's thrown his hat in the ring in that he's, case. Exactly. Functionally said he's doing it. I mean... This was a man, for those who need just a quick reminder, was a health secretary and he came second to Boris Johnson in the 2019 leadership race, but then has gone on to have a, a good pandemic, if, if that's not too tasteless a thing to say. He's chaired the Health and Social Care Select Committee. He's been praised for some of his authoritative uh, and forensic analyses of government policy and for his critique of the government position on restrictions and lockdown. Most people recognise that the places that have succeeded are the ones that moved earliest to social distancing, that the business of trying to keep the most vulnerable people away from places where they could catch the virus. And so I think people will be concerned that we're not moving sooner to more social distancing. Many has steadily crept back up fabled con-home leadership table. And moreover, I mean, he, he, one of these politicians, and uh, we may come on to Nadim Zahawi shortly as well, but who, who's not in any way tarnished by the kind of accusation of mismanagement that loomed large over the first wave. So, he, you know, he has pair of he's hands. a clean pair of hands. Unlike, say, Liz Truss, Pretty Patel, um, he may not be affected by, you know, some kind of wider views as to the government's performance. I mean, he has gone for it before and failed. Do we think he's gained popularity since then or does so much of it just come down to the arithmetic of who he's up against? In terms of Tory leadership contest, I mean, you, you need to do two things. You need to win the backing of people in Parliament, in particular Tory MPs, and then you need to win the backing of Tory members. And, you know, I don't think it's not novel or ingenious insight on my behalf to say that he represents kind of traditions within the Conservative Party that are at the very least abeyant, kind of Cameroon, middle of the way, moderate Tory. I don't think that the central gravity in the Tory party is necessarily where Jeremy Hunt uh, is or has been historically. If leadership races of the past are anything to go by, it's not always the obvious frontrunners who win. So, coming up, who are the wildcard candidates? But that's after a word from one of our regular Westminster watchers. 
I'm Matt Chorley. I'm a columnist for The Times and presenter on Times Radio. And we try to cover all the biggest stories, bringing you politics without the boring bits. We can only do this thanks to subscribers of The Times and The Sunday Times. So subscribe today by visiting thetimes.co.uk forward slash stories of our times. Last year, a Turkish cult leader was sentenced to over a thousand years in jail. There is only one purpose in life. And it's love. But what happened? Everyone is ready in the world right now to believe anything. The Messiah and His Kittens. A new four-part series beginning this Friday, here on the Stories of Our Times podcast, with me, Louise Callahan, the Middle East correspondent for The Sunday Times. It's often the wild card, the ones you're not really expecting who do come up and, you know, can, can often end up winning. Who who are the wild cards in this one? So I think Nadim Zahawi is being widely discussed as a you know, kind of potential alternative to the front runners. I mean, he, he's somebody whose kind of personal story and his political track record marks him out from the rest. He was parachuted into government as vaccines minister in November 2020. So, you know, again, after the first wave. We've come a long way. The vaccination programme has already saved over 14,000 lives. And so, you know, he can kind of plausibly claim to have had a really impressive stint as a junior minister in the Department of Health. And from there, he was promoted to the Department of Education. Now, you know, it sort of feels like so long ago, it's so in a rearview mirror talk of mutant algorithms and the A-level exams fiasco and, yes. you know, standoffs with the education and university what unions. A long that but was. that was a toxic brief for Gavin Williams and it has so often been a toxic brief. It's, and so for Zahawi to have kind of come into that role and seemingly, at least so far, detoxified it and, you know, to have ensured that schools have stayed open is is no mean feat. And also, you, you, you know, unlike, you know, Boris, the, you know, the Etonian, the Oxonian, he, he, he's very different. He's the uh, son of parents who fled Iraq under Saddam Hussein's early period in power. He's a successful businessman. He founded the polling company YouGov. I mean, he's got a great story. He is a kind of outside but but plausible candidate for the top job. And until recently, we hadn't really heard her name being mentioned with regard to the job, but I understand the ERG, the European Research Group, the arch-Brexiteers in the party, are quite keen on Penny Mordaunt as candidate. That's right. So Penny Morden, currently the trade minister, she was formerly a magician's assistant. I think she's even a member of the magic circle. And, and you know, there is a chance that, as with Zahawi, the members and MPs decide that the country wants somebody who they don't necessarily know so much about and who is a kind of mm. relative unknown. I mean, you know, obviously, uh, pandemic politics have completely changed public perceptions of the government, the Conservative Party, you know, given Partygate as well. They may want somebody who is completely unaffected by the contagion that kind of emanated from Number Ten over the last couple of yeah. months, and you know she would she would certainly tick that box. And she's done a bit of reality TV, so she has a slightly different connection to the public, I suppose. You're right. She appeared on reality TV program Splash. It is completely terrifying um, the whole process. <laughs> And do we have a sense of which of those candidates are popular with the party, but also with the public at large? Which of them could potentially win an election? And does that matter at this stage? 
I think Rishi Sunak, you, you know, in terms of how the public sees him, is probably, if the public did matter in terms of deciding the outcome of these contests, Rishi would probably be your candidate. Be asked, does it matter or, you know, whether it has any bearing on the outcome of these events? And the answer to which is certain MPs, certain members will kind of weigh uh, a person's public standing. But really, you know, as is the case in Labour Party, you know, the, the leader of the Conservative Party is... Uh, decided by an unrepresentative selectorate, you, you know, self-selecting individuals who nobody pretends mirror the kind of centre of gravity nationally. And Gabriel, just finally, where, where do we go from here? We keep hearing from various people within the Tory party that it's not a question of if, it's when. When might a vote of no confidence be triggered? It does seem like a lot of people are waiting for Sue Gray's report. Whatever it says or does not say will be determinative in terms of MPs who've already said they submitted their letters but haven't said so publicly, or those who've said they probably aren't going to back the Prime Minister going forward, but at least want to wait out on this report. And then there'll be many waverers who genuinely decide what they do in terms of submitting their letters based on the outcome of that particular document. The Prime Minister's spokesperson has committed that it will be published in full as well, so it's going to be a historically important text or whatever its contents. And I think that that alongside, you know, good old-fashioned unforeseen events, that will probably decide whether Boris Johnson manages to escape once again, whether the, the greased albino piglet lives to fight another day or whether he is actually toast on this occasion. We'll keep you updated. You've been listening to Stories of Our Times, a podcast brought to you thanks to the subscribers of The Times and The Sunday Times. With me, Manveen Rana, and my guest, Sunday Times Whitehall editor, Gabriel Pogrand. You can find all of Gabriel's reporting at thetimes.co.uk with a subscription or in print on Sundays. The producers today were Taryn Siegel and James Shield. The executive producer is Kate Ford, and sound design was by David Crackles. If you enjoyed this episode, please do leave us a review. And if you'd like to get in touch, do drop us an email to storiesofourtimes at thetimes.co.uk. Thanks for listening. See you tomorrow. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.